we're going to the book of Hosea. And the very first word in line 14 says, therefore. Now, whenever there's a therefore in here in the Bible, it applies all to what has passed, to what's gone on before it. And they're talking here, the before, about Israel and how it's walked away from God. So as we read this, we start off with the therefore. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her out into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And she will respond as in the days of her youth. As in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, I will call me, you will call me husband, and you will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of Baal from their lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them. For the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air and the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, bow and sword and battle, I will abolish from the land so that they will lay down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and I will, you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain and new wine and new olive oil and they will respond to Jez. And I will plant her for myself in the land and I will show my love to the one I have called, not my loved one. And then I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And I will say that you, and they will say that you are my God. The key theme of the book of Hosea is devotion to the Lord is like faithfulness in marriage. Idolatry is like adultery. Prophets in the Bible sometimes did some really strange things to share God's message with the people. Jeremiah walked around with a yoke on his shoulders. The prophet Ezekiel acted like a little boy and played war and once used a haircut as a theological object lesson. Now, I can't do that because I don't have any hair. And if we had time, I could go on and on about their strange behavior and the strange things they did as recorded in the Bible for us to read. But why did they do this? The people of God had become deaf to God's voice. And they were no longer paying attention to God's instruction. Sounds like today, doesn't it? The Lord called his servants to do strange things. These are called action sermons. In hopes that the people would wake up and listen to what the prophets had to say. 
Because it was only if the people would listen to God that they could escape the discipline and judgment that was coming. Now, in my opinion, this is my opinion, no prophet preached a more painful action message or action sermon than Hosea. He was instructed to marry a prostitute named Gomer. He subse- she subsequently bore him three children, and he wasn't even sure if the last two children were fathered by him. Then Gomer, his wife, ran away for another man, and Hosea had the humiliating responsibility to buy back his own wife. Now, what was that all about? It's a... It's a vivid picture of what the people of God had done to God. By worshiping idols and committing spiritual adultery. In the book of James chapter 4 it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means intimacy with God? Or against God, pardon me. Into me with against God. What a thought. What a thought. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. God's people today face the same temptations. So if we so we really do need to pay attention to what spiritual lessons we can pull from this prophet. Let me bottom line this lesson that we're going to delve into today. God loves you so much that he gives us a doorway of hope. What kind of hope is that? And where do we find it? That's what we'll explore today. So let's start our study with this story. In Europe, there are something called lock bridges. They are bridges where young lovers take padlocks and engrave their initials or messages on them and they lock them to the bridge in that city and throw away the key into the canal or the water, river. There are 20 known lock bridges all over the world. And in 2015, there was a pedestrian bridge in Paris that had so many of these locks attached to it that that bridge weighed nearly 45 tons. And the city was forced to have the locks removed because they feared the bridge would collapse. So here's a picture of them cutting off the locks. Cut off whole panels. The legend has it that this practice started in Hungary when a young woman who'd lost her boyfriend in the World War I started to attach padlocks on the bridges of where they used to meet at in that city. It was her way of expressing her love and that her love was unbreakable. The book of Hosea describes God's love for his people as being unbreakable. God was a relentless lover of Israel. 
But Israel's love for God wasn't nearly as secure. They had broken and torn away from God because they wanted to be like other nations and worship other gods. In the midst of the book of Hosea, God makes this declaration. Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valleys of Angkor a type of door. And there she shall answer as the days of her youth and that time she will come out when she came out of the land of Egypt. Now that's Hosea chapter 2, 14 through 15. Now it's an interesting statement by God because he started out telling Israel that he would allure her and speak tenderly to her. But then he talks about the, val- the valley of Anchor. What is that all about? The valley of Anchor was a place of sadness. In fact, Anchor means trouble. God told the Israelites many things as their walk. And we're going to go into something of the battle of Jericho right now. See, in the minds of the Israelites, it was a place where trouble had happened, this valley. The story is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 6 and 7. If you want to check it out later, it's a great study. It tells of the time when God delivered the city of Jericho into the hands of Israel. All Israel had to do was march around the city for seven days as God ordered. And God did the rest. The walls of the city fell down and the city was conquered and was completely burnt. Here's a picture of the walls of Jericho. They, They dug them up. The walls fell down just as God said. That's what archaeologists have discovered when they dug up the city back in the 1900s. The destruction of Jericho occurred just as Scripture said. The city was strongly fortified. Now that is Joshua chapter 2 verse 5, 2 verse 7, 2 verse 15, 6, 5. You can read it all about The attack occurred just after harvest in the spring. That's Joshua 2, 6, 3, 5, and 5, 10. It was, the city was full of grain. The inhabitants had no opportunity to flee with their foodstuffs. That's Joshua 6, 1. And the siege was short. Everything's been proven by archaeology. The walls were leveled and the city was not plundered. All the, all the grain was burned and all the food was burnt. All the pots were destroyed. It was burnt to the ground. Archaeology proves this. Instead of being an indictment on the Bible, the archaeology from Jericho is a powerful extra-biblical witness to the accuracy of the conquest narratives. God told it that Israel that everything 
in Jericho was to be destroyed except for the items of gold, silver and bronze and iron, and they were to be God's possession. And they were presented to the priests in the tabernacle. God warned them to keep away from the devoted things. Pardon me. <coughs> so that you do not bring on your own destruction by taking any of them. That was his warning. Those words are found in Joshua chapter 6 verse 18. He warned them in advance not to do it. They could plunder other cities, but not Jericho. That was God's. But one of the Israelites, Achan, got greedy and picked up a few things for himself. Now, I am personally convinced that other Israelites knew that Achan had done this, but they had looked the other way. And the results were disastrous. Israel went up against a small, insignificant city called Ai and got roundly defeated. God's anger had been kindled against his people and the hearts of the people melted with fear. Joshua and the elders actually fell on their faces in despair and confessed and repented before God. I love that word. They repented before God. God revealed to them that, that Achan was the culprit. Achan and his family were taken to the valley of Achor and put to death. The name Achan, the guy who stole stuff, means trouble. In the valley's name, the valley of Achor means the valley trouble or the valley of the one who brought us trouble. That's the actual meaning of the Hebrew name. Afterwards, the Israelites piled up a pile of stones as a memorial to remember to never forget the lesson of Achan's disobedience. The valley of Achor was a place of judgment punishment, and trouble. And by the time Hosea became prophet, Israel had spiritually come to this place. A place of judgment and punishment. A place where they were in serious trouble. And God was declaring to Israel that he loved them so much as to let them stay there. He wanted to rescue the nation from their dark valley of trouble and give them a doorway out of that place they were in. He wanted to give them a door of hope. Now, the key question is, where, they're, where are they going to get that hope? That's the key question. And where would they find that hope that would lead them out of this dismal, dark valley? Am I talking about today? About the same. Well, the thing about hope is it has to have a source. 
And the source of hope for Israel had become practically anything but God. Just like the world you and I are living in today. They hadn't looked to God for encouragement or protection in years. They were dependent upon the things the world could supply. They'd put their hope in the wrong things and life had begun falling apart. And things haven't changed over the centuries. Folks nowadays look at politics to solve their problems. If the only right political party were in power. Or they look to science to save us from danger. Or they look to having money, possessions to protect against the future. One person even said they believed hope would come from within. Listen to that small voice that comes out from your heart. That voice knows that it will, you and will guide you. All you need to do is rely on yourself. Now, actually, none of this stuff is actually terribly bad in itself. But what happens when the other product, political parties in power? Or what happens, you, do we suddenly lose hope? Or what happens when science doesn't have an answer? Are you overcome with despair? What happens when you don't have enough money or possessions and there's no 401k or the 401k tanked? Do you depend on that alone? Do you just give up? And what happens when that little voice inside you doesn't say nice things to you anymore? Health. When health... Wealth and wisdom disappear. Hope's not far behind. And life begins to fall apart. It disappears. The, the source of our hope is important. Otherwise, you find yourself trapped in a valley of troubles. A valley of Achor. The source of hope is important. Or otherwise, it will seem like there's no way out. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in the valley. David wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why not? Why shouldn't I fear e evil in the valley? Well, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's Psalms 23, verse 4. Over and over again in Scripture, we're told, put your hope in God. Now, that's actually Psalms 42, verse 5. Put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Now that's Psalms 103, verse 7. Oh, I love this one. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. 
That, now, that, those words come from Psalm 62, verse 5. And it also says in Psalms, No one whose hope in the Lord will ever be put to shame. Those wonderful words are Psalms, verse 25, pardon me, chapter 25, verse 3. No one who ever puts their hope in the Lord will be put to shame. God is the source of our hope. The difference between a lost man and a saved man is simply this. A lost man is without God and has no hope. While a saved man has God and is blessed with hope. There are people... Uh, let's word it correctly. We are a people of hope because we belong to God, to a God of love. But just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we won't have trouble. We got to be very honest about this. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Anybody here not had any trouble this week? Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But because Jesus has overcome the world, our trouble in it won't last forever. David observed, King David, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, notice that word through. Valleys are what we go through. Valleys are are not a place that you permanently camp in. Valleys are not dead ends. In the darkest of valleys, they're like tunnels with the light on the other side. In the end of the valley, there's a door of hope. And we who are Christians have that hope because we've attached ourselves to God, a God who loves us, just like those padlocks on bridges. Our hope is padlocked to God. Unlike the bridges, the bridges can eventually collapse. They can collapse under the weight of the locks. But our hope can never collapse because we've locked ourselves to God, who will never fail us. God has promised us sitting here today in the book of Hebrews, chapter 35, verse 5. Check this out. It says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God loves us so much that he leaves us never without hope. We always have hope. Now, I've always liked this graphic you're going to get right here now. It's, it's, it's a Valentine, believe it or not. It's for Valentine's Day, but I like it. See, it, it's God's love. It's a graphic that has the words Valentine woven through John 3.16. I didn't learn this till like a couple years ago. Other people knew it all their life. I, I mean, I just thought it's cute. Now, I want you to notice the promise we read. For God so loved the world... He loves every single person on the face of this earth, no matter what they've done or where they've been. His promise is made to the whole world, to all. The Bible translated, the word translated all means all. 
And because he loved the whole world, he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now there's an interesting statement in the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That promise is also quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, and also in Romans chapter 9, verse 26. That promise applies to you. Allow me a sidebar here. You've been grafted in. You're part of the vine. At one time, you were not God's people. And we had no mercy. We had no hope of everlasting life. And then the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says, Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise. Having on hope without God within the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now how do we have this hope in this world? We have it through the blood of Jesus. Don't worry, as I, I'm going to start to close here. You know, you want to, when the minister says start to close, what's that mean? We're going to get there, right? In Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Behold, I will lure her and bring her to the wilderness and speak tenderly there to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Ancor a door of hope. Our promise sitting here today is that there is a door that leads out of the valley of trouble. Out of the valley of the shadow of death. And what is that door? Jesus said, I am the door. And anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find his pasture. Or find pasture, depending on your translation. Those words are John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus is the door that leads us out of defeat and despair. He is the door that leads us to a new life. Someone once said, and I really can't remember who it was, but it's a great quote, so I'm just going to give you the quote. When we look into the world around us, we are distressed. When we look inside ourselves, we are depressed. But when we look at Jesus, we'll be at rest. I really wish I knew who said it. I've quoted many years. I can't give him credit. I did not. That's not my own thinking. Great thinking, though. When we look at Jesus, we will be at rest. There's a beautiful worship song that's always helped folks find themselves in dark, when they find themselves in dark valleys. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it goes, the chorus goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, that's what matters. His glory, his grace. Any of you had trouble this week? We're missing a whole bunch of people because of the snow. We had one person disappear before we even got halfway through the songs. There's snow's trouble. I know. It's not just snow. Anybody had trouble at work? I was watching a show on this YouTube where they talk how many pounds of rubber taken off tires in an airport. Now, you would not think that's a problem. They actually have to go out and grind and take chemically remove that, that runway tire off the runway so you don't slide off with the plane. Well, I've done some flying here recently, and we were doing, we had really good pilots who landed really soft, and then we had this one pilot, I thought he was going to break the plane. One lady screamed when we hit the, we hit so hard. He needs a refreshing course. You can't do nothing when you're in the middle of a plane and it's landed. You don't know how you're going to hit. You know what I'm talking about? You come in, you're flying, and all of a sudden, you hit that really smooth landing, and all of a sudden, bam! Everything's shaking. And the plane still comes to a stop at the end of the runway. But that's because people go out there and take all that rubber off. The tires are left on the runway. That's because people maintain the runways. All the stuff you never see. That's what we are as a church. All the stuff you never see. When life's falling apart, we love each other. When the kids get excited, we put them to work. You know, they say yes before an adult. Did you ever notice that? They do. And they're excited to do things. And guess what? We're God's children. We should be excited too. So we're going to close in prayer. And then we'll close in a song. And then you're invited out there for these wonderful things called goodies. They're calling your name. <sighs> Somebody went out pre-sampled. I won't say who. It was not me. But I watched them. Somebody went out there and got pre-goodies already. Not supposed to do that, are we? But it's life. The thing is, we're family. And we have enjoyment. What also matters here is that you'll hear the Word of God. And the Word of God says that there's a door at the end of the valley. There is a door for whatever you're going through. And he'll get you through it. Let's close. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne with improper words but proper hearts. We come before your throne to humbly ask that you point us to the door to lead us out of the troubles we're going through. And for those who are going through troubles, Father, allow us to come beside and help. Guide us and direct us, empower us, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.